Hi, this is Chris Iavana. I'm the Fixed Income Specialist here at GWK, and this is the Q1 Muni Bond Strategy Podcast. First, we're going to touch on what happened in the market, then we're going to move on to the municipal strategy. Performance will be after that, and we'll conclude with the outlook. Overall, municipals continue to perform well with the fifth straight quarter of declining rates. 10-year AAA GEO rates finished at 1.96, which is down 9 basis points for the quarter. However, the range in rates is quite wide considering the low levels we've been experiencing. The 10-year hit its intra-quarter low of 1.72 at the end of January, but it spiked to 2.18 by mid-March. Longer rates, as measured by the 30-year, finished at 2.8%, which is down 7 basis points for the quarter. Using the Barclays 10-year Muni Index as our proxy, the municipal market was up 1.26% for the quarter, underperforming Treasuries, which returned 1.64%. Note that typically when rates rally, Treasuries outperform municipals, as was the case this quarter. When rates back up, though, Muni's usually outperform Treasuries. As has been the case recently, Short-term bonds underperformed and long-term bonds outperformed, with some exception in the 12- to 22-year area of the curve. The Barclays 5-year index, representing the shorter side, posted a 0.76% gain for the quarter, while the long bond index, which is 22 years plus, was up 1.58%. Also consistent with recent performance, lower-rated bonds did better than higher-rated ones. The Barclays BAA index posted a 1.76% return, while single A's were at 1.05, double A's 0.97, and triple A's 0.79. Muni's held in nicely considering the heavy amount of issuance that the market had to digest. Q1 supply topped $100 billion for only the third time ever, and issuance was up 59% compared to Q1 of 2014. In March alone, supply was over $40 billion, the most for any month going back to 2012. Refunding drove close to 70% of the supply during the quarter, and that has been helped by low rates and deep-in-the-money callability of the muni market. Dealer estimates for gross issuance for 2015 had been around $340 billion as we started the year, but estimates have been pushed higher to the tune of $20 billion or more. Demand for the most part has kept up, the new issuance market continues to see oversubscriptions, with many issues three to five times plus oversubscribed. And net fund inflows through April 1st were near $10.5 billion, although we saw a bit of weakness toward the end of the quarter. The primary reason for the solid immunity performance has been strong, the strong Treasury market. The 10-year Treasury yield fell from 2.17 to start the quarter to 2.2%. 1.92. Also to note was the continued flattening of the Treasury curve where short rates fell, but not as much as long rates. Here the two-year was down 11 basis points, while the 10 and 30 years dropped 25 and 21 basis points. Domestically, there was a disconnect between reports out of the jobs market and other economic data. For January and February, employment data was robust as, a, as the economy continued to add 200,000 plus payrolls and the unemployment rate fell to 5.5%. On the other hand, retail sales, manufacturing, and factory data disappointed. 
This helped drive GDP growth from healthy post-recession levels in Q2 and Q3 of 2014 to a more mundane 2.2% for the fourth quarter. As we look forward to Q1 GDP for this year, estimates have continued to plummet, with many economists forecasting a sub-1% reading, and the Fed Bank of Atlanta estimating no growth at all. We will see if this lasts more than a quarter as we leave the bad weather behind. Touching back on the employment numbers, the disconnect that I spoke of disappeared with the March figures as only 126,000 jobs were added and prior month revisions were negative. The labor force participation rate at 62.7% has been stubbornly weak and at multi-decade lows. There were two heavily watched Fed events in Q1, Chairman Yellen's testimony before Congress and the March FOMC meeting. Both were generally regarded as dovish and helped to push yields lower. In her testimony, her overall goal seemed to have been to move Fed policy away from calendar-based guidance to one of data dependence. This was reiterated in the March FOMC meeting in addition to the expected removal of the term patient, which had been in the statement since late last year and was noted to mean no interest rate increases for at least two meetings. Fed members also revised down their growth inflation and Fed fund forecasts. Even as the Fed plans to raise rates eventually, foreign central banks continue their easing policies as growth and inflation is still deemed uncomfortably low. Global capital continues to pour into the U.S. for an alternative to depressed yields available on high-quality overseas bonds and helping to increase the value of the dollar. U.S. Treasuries have looked attractive compared to close to zero and even negative sovereign debt overseas. Moving on to our strategy, the key management decision to note was the tactical trade we implemented at the end of the January into the first part of February that saw us bring duration from 5.65 years down to 5.35 years. Cash was increased from under 3% to 7.5%. Thinking that rates had run too far too fast and recognizing tightening spreads drove us to sell into strength and wait for rates to move to more attractive levels before putting money back to work. We also knew that there were technical headwinds ahead of us since before this March, 10 out of the past 11 experienced negative returns. Supply and tax selling typically puts pressure on the muni market. We focused on bonds in the 10 to 15 year area of the curve where paper had performed extremely well and offered good liquidity. As yields moved higher, in mid-March we started repurchasing in the similar area of the curve that we sold. We were able to take advantage of the largest issuance week of the year at $12.5 billion, and in particular a $2 billion University of California deal that has seen since, that has since seen spreads narrow. On average, rates were over 30 basis points higher at the time of purchase relative to the time of sale. At the end, we were able to accomplish our strategy, capturing 10 to 15 basis points in an added value via the trade. Cash has moved to below 2.5% in duration back to 5.65 years. We continue to avoid state GOs with poorly funded pension systems and or high debt levels. Included are Pennsylvania, Kansas, Connecticut, and we also lightened up on New Jersey. All four have funding levels of less than 60%, with Connecticut at less than 50%. New accounting standards are going to be implemented in the next few years, and that will force states to report even lower funding levels 
based on lower discount rates. We do not own any City of Chicago or Chicago Board of Education. Both of those have recently received additional downgrades and has, have significant pending funding, pension funding issues. We also don't own any Louisiana GO bonds due to their focus exposure to the volatile energy sector. We continue to maintain a defensive position in bonds shorter than the index. We have approximately 50% of the portfolio in maturities in five to eight years, which will protect the portfolio if rates rise. This will also serve as a source of bonds to sell in order to take advantage of any such rise in rates. As for performance, our intermediate muni strategy was up 1.15% for the quarter. We underperformed the Barclays 10-year muni index, which returned 1.26%. The main positive contributor was the tactical trade I spoke about earlier. As far as detractors, almost 50% of our bonds are shorter than the benchmark, uh, so that was a negative. Another negative was our underweight to single A and our lack of exposure to triple Bs as we have a higher quality bias in the portfolio with spreads continuing to tighten. And as I mentioned before, single A's and triple Bs uh, outperform their higher quality counterparts during the quarter. As for our outlook, uh, as we look ahead, we expect supply to moderate from recent lofty levels as we head toward the later part of Q2, technical should turn positive with lower supply and investor tax selling dissipating. Also, tax refunds and coupon reinvestments can be put to work. Additional tailwinds include the continued retirement of the boomer population and their need for tax-free income. Higher tax rates are also a positive for muni demand with the highest federal rate at 39.6%. And when you add in the Affordable Care Act tax, this brings you to 43.4%, and that's without considering state taxes. We expect much of the muni market to be driven by treasuries, which will be focused on Fed policy and global growth. Thus, volatility should stay elevated, but munis should offer a relative safe haven, helped historically by avoiding the sharp swings of the treasury market. Also, yields versus treasuries are historically cheap, which, which should keep munis well bid. The 10-year muni to treasury ratios finished the year at 102% and the 30-year at 110%, both above their historical averages. The 5-year ratio is also attractive at 90%, which is above its 77% average. Credit fundamentals in the muni bond space remain solid. Tax revenues have been on the upswing for five years, and states have put austerity measures in place that have modestly shrunk the level of municipal debt outstanding. Rainy day funds are on the rise, and states are benefiting from the national recovery that typically trickles down. As we look forward to, to what may be a choppy 2015 for many markets, the steady tax-free income, domestic purchasing base, and minuscule default rates should reassure those looking for a portfolio anchor. This concludes the Q1 2015 Municipal Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to speaking with you next quarter.